how true that is. What a blessing. Chilwick can be dismissed at this time while you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. If you would, Matthew chapter 3. What a great group of kids we have today. We had a great group in Sunday school already, and, and uh, it's a blessing to see a lot of, a lot of children out in church. Matthew chapter 3, I have probably, like many of you, I've never in all my life felt in the pit of my stomach what I feel now as I see what's happening across our nation. It seems that all that is good and right and decent is under attack. Uh, We are considered racist homophobes if we simply express pride in or love for our country, if we express our conviction that every life matters, if we express uh, any type of uh, conviction concerning marriage and what it is. And I don't want to over-dramatize anything, and we certainly don't ever want to turn this pulpit into a a political uh, issue, but it seems clear to me that our freedoms are under attack and uh, never more than they are now. At the beginning of this so-called pandemic, I made a statement that this is not persecution when the churches were, or when the businesses and churches were asked to close down because church is not being singled out. But that's changing as we see throughout the last few weeks. Uh, when in California last week the government banned singing in places of worship, yet. The same health officials, Jennifer Nuzzo of Johns Hopkins is one of them, encouraged protests and riots. When you have public health officials banning churches from singing, and yet at the same time encouraging mass protests, that's a problem. That's an issue. It's not a question anymore whether our nation is facing evil, serious evil, I believe we are. I'm very concerned if Christ tarries what will happen uh, in the lives of my children and my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. What do we do when we face evil? How is a Christian to respond? I was thinking on this this last week that there's a bit of a conundrum in the Christian life because we do recognize and we accept this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Yet we're here though at that time and And how much allegiance do we have to this world? Uh, How much focus do we put on the issues facing us and yet live as though this is not our home? Our home is in heaven and we're just passing through here. I believe that there's a balance and this is a question each one of us has to answer. But one of the things I want to take into consideration that freedom is one of the greatest environments for the propagation of the gospel. And so freedom is important. For the cause of Christ. We must not let God's work suffer. And so what do we do when we face evil? Thankfully, Jesus provides an example. Uh, Now, two events happened back to back that launched Jesus into public ministry. We have his baptism and we have his temptation. And I think their best, uh, what we're going to do this morning is kind of view them together here. uh, Starting in Matthew chapter 3. And uh, verse number 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. 
But John forbade him, saying, I have, no, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Let's speak today in the face of evil. In the face of evil. Father, I pray you'd help us this morning. Oh Lord, I know we live in uncertain times. Help us to realize we have a certain God. We have a certain future. And Lord, help us to be encouraged today from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Outside of the crucifixion, the baptism of Jesus is the only event in the life of Jesus that's mentioned in all the Gospels. It's an important uh, day in his life. But only in Matthew and Luke do we have the temptation scene. Uh, now, I'm going to refer to the Luke passage, but we're not going to turn there. We're going to stay in Matthew. But the baptism and the temptation are closely connected with that word, the first word in chapter 4, then. Now, understand along with me that chapter divisions are not inspired in the Bible. They're certainly helpful, but they're not inspired. And so sometimes you have... Uh, you do have a chapter break, uh, yet there's not really a break in the narrative, and this is one of them here. Uh, this, you have here this word, then, connecting the two. God had just spoken. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, then. Then Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted. After great triumph and success came great temptation. Have you ever noticed that in your life, in the Christian life, it's impossible to sustain uh, success? Uh, it's, a, it's an impossible thing for us to always uh, have a successful uh, being on the top of the world, having, a, having your day go as you want to go. Things cannot always go good. I mean, you can be on top of the world one day, or as they say, have the world by the tail. Everything's going wonderful, everything's going good, then something comes along to ruin it. Uh, you have a financial difficulty, relationship problems, sickness, accidents. Listen, even the most talented and the smartest people in the world today cannot escape the wrinkles of life. Now, you may ask the question, what if we did better? What if we live good lives every day? What if you did everything just right? What if you could always do everything just right? What if you had overcome all your faults? What if you had no bad habits? What if your faith in God was so completely solid that it never wavered? What if you lived a life that was always pleasing to God? Surely then God would protect you. It would be like your holiness would be a cloak around you that would protect you. Deep down, we have this idea that if we are good, life will go good. If we do everything just right, things will fall the way they should. That is not a biblical concept. That is wrong. Because here stands the man who did just that, Jesus Christ. Uh, be, between his birth and his baptism was a 30-year span, and Jesus spent those 30 years being good, 
kind, loving, peaceful, patient, meek, happy. He was perfectly self-controlled because he was perfectly spirit-controlled. He was, a, 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 if, if you can imagine this, an unspoiled toddler. I mean, he's perfect as a toddler. He was a, uh, he was a perfect little boy when he was being growing up, three, four, five years old. Here's a hard one to even imagine. He was an absolutely obedient teenager. Can you imagine that? Those of you who've raised teenagers? A perfect teenager. He was a holy son, brother, neighbor, friend, student, workman, perfect in every way. By the way, that's an important thing for us to recognize. Jesus had no sin in his life. He was perfectly sinless. I heard a national news anchor uh, say th- just this last week, I don't know if he said it this week or if I just saw a repeat, but uh, said that, well, we obviously know Jesus wasn't perfect when he was on the earth. Yes, he was. He was perfect. He was the perfect, sinless Son of God. So, he, he spent his life always doing what God wanted him to do. He was everything that God intended human beings to be before sin came along. God had just said in verse number 17, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then look at what happens. Well, look at the the timeline here. He's accepted by God. He's affirmed by God. He's approved by God. Then, (laughs) then he's ushered into the presence of the devil. He went from God's love, God's acceptance, even God's proclamation of who he was to wilderness, hunger, Thirst, temptation. This word, this little word, then. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit to the wilderness. It tells us that no one is absent or no one is exempt from trials and tribulations in their life. This is what happens to people whom God is even very pleased with. Then is led into the wilderness. It's the way that He builds us into something great. Here's, we're just by our nature, we do these different things and feel these different ways, but if we're not suffering at the moment, everything's going as it's supposed to, the bills are paid, nobody's sick, kids are doing well, we usually credit ourselves. It's not because of grace, no, no, no. It's because we're living smart, we're doing right, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But in Matthew chapter 3, we see the one person who really did live a good life. Listen, if anyone earned a pass from trials and suffering, wouldn't it be the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Lived a perfect life, uh, lived a sinless life. Yet his life was full of trouble. His life was full of opposition. Uh, And it ended in crucifixion. In this wilderness episode, this is just a beginning of a life full of rejection, of poverty, of betrayal, torture, and death at the end. Everything will go wrong for Jesus from this point on. Now what can we learn from this? Well, there's evil in the world. There's always going to be evil in the world. Behind it all is the prince of the power of the air, as is talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Our society today has dismissed the fact 
that there is a Satan, that there is evil. In fact, four out of ten Christians, Christians, four out of ten Christ, or professing Christians, uh, say that the, Satan is not a living being, but really a symbol of evil. In fact, only three out of ten Christians believe strongly that Satan is a real person. Now, we here today, maybe we could all verbally affirm the reality of Satan. We understand, by the way, Satan is a real person. And we can all uh, sign the dotted line and say that we believe that, but we don't always live like he's real. We underestimate the power of evil in our lives or how evil might affect us. Now, here's another truth that we can see from this. True godliness does not only suffer from evil, it attracts evil as well. We see that in the baptism and the temptation of Christ. Jesus did not encounter temptation because he was disobedient. He did not encounter temptation because he messed up. He did not flirt with evil. He did not succumb to temptation. He's, he was doing everything right in his life. Uh, yet he faced evil. You ever notice when the Bible talks about facing evil, it uses battle language? Let me give you a few verses. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians 6.11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 1 Timothy 1.18 Paul charges Timothy to fight, uh, to war a good warfare. And uh, 1 Timothy 6.12 He talks about having fought the good fight and having kept the faith. Uh, hey friend, when you got saved, can I tell you today, you did not get on a cruise ship, you got on a battleship, and the rest of your life, until you go to heaven or until Christ returns, you're going to be at war with the flesh. We will face evil. We will face evil every day of our lives. But look at how Jesus faced evil in the Luke passage in Luke chapter 3. The Bible talks about immediately after the baptism. It's interesting that Luke kind of in, in just inserts there a genealogy uh, from Jesus that goes all the way back to Adam. Then we come to the temptation in Luke 4. One thing that we can take from this genealogy is that both the first Adam and the second Adam, Jesus is called the second Adam in the Bible, the first Adam and the second Adam face temptation. The first Adam was tested in the God-blessed garden and he failed. The second Adam was tested in the sin-cursed desert, but praise God, he succeeded. And he is our example. He shows us what to do when we are faced with evil. I want you to notice, first of all, that he was led of the Spirit. Uh, he was, the Bible says in verse 1 of our text here, chapter 4, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The word led has the idea here of being led by the hand. Now it tells us in Mark 1.12, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. We see very clearly that this showdown with the devil did not happen by accident. The Spirit led Jesus. 
where we can see in this passage that he led him to the wilderness, he led him through the wilderness, and he led him out of the wilderness. Uh, There is never a moment when the Holy Spirit left Jesus. Take a moment here to compare a couple of verses in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. You can turn there if you like, but I'm going to read these verses to you. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's as he was going into the temptation. Now, when he was done, in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. This is interesting to me. Jesus was full of the Spirit when he went into the desert, When he came out of the desert, he came in the power of the Spirit. Something happened to Jesus as a result of his victory over temptation. The Holy Spirit's power became evident and obvious in his life in a new way. Now, this is a marvelous truth that's true in our Christian life as well. Yes, we will face evil, we will face temptation, uh, but it does not have to defeat us, it can serve to strengthen us. That's why it tells us in James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, I've said this before. But we, we all have a cell phone. Most of us have a smartphone. And on this smartphone, you can download apps. I wish you could download apps from the Bible, like Patience. Wouldn't that be nice? Just download the app. You didn't have it in your life, but you downloaded it, and now you have it. Patience. That's not how it works, though, is it? Patience comes in ways we don't like. In fact, most of the character in the Bible that you'll get uh, if, if you uh, live right and do right and <coughs> serve God and learn these different things, most of the character traits in the Bible, they don't come in pleasant ways. They come in unpleasant ways. Have you ever prayed for patience? Go ahead. Pray for patience. See what happens. God will give it to you. But it won't be downloaded in an app. It's going to be uh, come the hard way. That's a great truth. We're developed by temptation. God uses temptation and trials to release a spiritual power in your life if you'll be successful in it. Temptations are for our development. Trials and temptations, what they often serve to do is shake us out of the comfortable ruts that we get into. They they, they provoke a reaction. They rattle us. The way that we respond... Uh, to them, to trials and temptation, tells us a great deal about our spiritual condition. They are to grow us. They're not to defeat us. God doesn't send us these things or allow these things in our life so that we might be defeated. The word translated temptations in James 1 refers primarily to trials. And he uses the word divers here, trials. It means trials of all sorts. We could use our word diverse. Different types of trials. And the classic Old Testament example of this is uh, in, in uh, um, Job's life. Remember Job? He had all kinds of trials. He had divers trials. <coughs> he lost his wealth. He lost his health, his family. He lost the sympathy of his wife. Yet Job came out of those trials a wiser man and a better man for God. What do we do in the face of evil? 
we can give in to anger, we can give in to discouragement, or we can come out stronger in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same event in our life can be a temptation and a trial and at the same time. Uh, what God gives to us as a trial or allows as a trial, Satan always uses as a temptation. God uses it to bring victory about in our life. Satan uses it to bring defeat. Look at Job as a classic example again. God, he, he was basically made a better man because he responded correctly. God meant to allow that for a good thing. Satan used it to try to bring him down. He'll always do that in your life. So what makes the difference? This trial that comes or this trouble or this evil that you're facing, what makes the difference in your life is your response to it. It can tear you down. It can discourage you. It can defeat you. Or it can make you stronger. It can make you better. A better child of God. The temptation of Jesus offers a, a clear example of this as well. Who led Christ into the wilderness? The Bible tells us the Spirit did. Who did the tempting? Well, the devil did that. But God wasn't trying to defile Christ. Rather, God is trying to demonstrate that his son would not yield to Satan's deceits. He is trying to prove the holy character of Christ. What a blessing. By the way, this is a, we can get a little bit deeper into the doctrinal here, but I don't think that Jesus, see, Jesus knew no sin. This isn't here. We don't have to read this with bated breath, chewing our fingernails, thinking, man, I hope Jesus doesn't fail. This is in here as an example to show us he was sinless. Jesus had no sin. He could not sin. He was God. It's not like there was a danger for him to sin. This is in here for us to recognize a pattern of how we deal with sin. How did Jesus deal with sin? With the Word of God. Every time the Satan brought a brought a, uh, a temptation his way, he came back with Scripture. Hey, the Word of God is what we have to use as well. That word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God never directly solicits his children to sin. James chapter 1 verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. However, it is also true that God allows his children sometimes to be in a place where they face severe temptations from Satan. We see this pattern in every area of life. God sends a trial, Satan turns it into a temptation. I'll give you an example. A child of God gets cancer. And it's a terrible thing when we get it, or any type of disease for that matter. Could that sickness be a testing from God? Absolutely. It could be a testing from God to help to purify our motives, uh, to cause the child of God to look away from the things of the world uh, to the things of heaven. To turn the eyes of the child of God back to, back to God, back to the Lord. Well, I've been in hospital rooms uh, where people have faced some serious issues in their life and it changes their focus in life from temporal things to eternal things. Actually, there, and this, is, this is, sounds callous, but many good things can be accomplished through sickness in the life of the believer. Many good things. It can reorganize our priorities. It can help us in many ways. But does Satan also work through that sickness? Sure he does. He'll work through that to try to tempt you to despair, to anger, to bitterness, ultimately to turn your back on God. So what God determines for you or intends for your spiritual good is the very avenue Satan will use to pull you down. 
if you respond the wrong way? What do we do in the face of evil? Stay faithful to God. It works the other way as well. Prosperity. Prosperity can be a test in your life from God to see how you'll handle his blessings. Prosperity ought to make us more generous toward the needy. Having more ought to encourage us to be more faithful in giving more. But that same prosperity, Satan will use us to make us greedy, uh, selfish, and materialistic. I think of Joseph. And Joseph, he spent those many years being sold as a slave, being falsely accused, thrown in prison, and he handled it all. He stayed faithful to God. And I think we probably see the greatest test to Joseph's faith the day he got promoted to the second in command to Pharaoh. Prosperity has taken down more men probably than trouble. Prosperity, but he passed, thank God for that. Uh, But so testing and trials are a normal part of the Christian life. There's nothing that you can do to escape the trials of life other than die. Okay, There's nothing you can do to escape the trials of life. There is no such thing as pain-free Christianity. <laughs> be nice to sign up for that, wouldn't it? No such thing. All of us will be tested many times in many ways. We'd better come to terms with this in our nation today. We'd better understand this. We have been, really, we've been soft as Christians. I don't know about you, but I see all that's going on today, and I see hints of what could be to come very soon. Uh, the different demands that are being put on, uh, that, that doesn't seem a very large leap for the demand to have a chip, does it? There's connections we can see right now to that. We may be very soon facing uh, more evil than we even are now. We better come to terms with the idea that we're going to be tested. We're going to have trials. There's going to be some tests to our faith. A trial then is a temptation when we respond wrongly. What do we do in the face of evil? What was sent into our life to make us stronger? When we respond in the power of the flesh, we'll always fail, by the way, it will tear us down and make us weaker. Because what Satan means for evil, or what God means for good, Satan will always mean for evil. Which way it ends up depends on your response. Here in this passage, from the mountaintop of his baptism, Jesus was led into the wilderness of temptation. I love the mountaintop. Who doesn't? Don't you like mountaintop living when everything's going wonderful? You feel good. Uh, Everything's going your way. Living on the mountaintop. Mountaintops are exciting places. You can see vast distances way out. You can, uh, the mountaintop's a wonderful thing. Uh, It's a place of victory. It's a place of spiritual refreshment. But sooner or later, you go down from the mountaintop into the valley of trouble. You see, here's the truth about mountaintops. Nothing grows up there. <laughs> Ever seen the mountaintop? Some snow up there, a lot of rock. Nothing grows on the mountaintop. If you really want to see lush greenery, you've got to go down in the valley. That's where you grow, too, as a Christian. You don't grow on the mountaintop. We enjoy them. Oh, man, I love mountaintops. I like revival meetings and conferences and different things where the preaching of the Word of God is concentrated. Uh, even things like camp sometimes. And, and we go to these areas and, and we uh, just feel on a spiritual high. <clears throat> the valley where you face your problems and learn to look to God for solutions. That's where growth takes place. By the way, the best, your, your 
best sermon to your children, your loved ones, is you in the valley. That's where your best sermon is preached. That's where you prove the reality of your faith to a watching world. In fact, if you try to stay on the mountaintop too long, <laughs> I think what happened is what happened to Jesus here. The Holy Spirit will take you by the hand and lead you down into the wilderness. But look at the result. After the testing was over, Luke 4.14, 4, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of Him through all the region round about. Jesus not only defeated the devil, He returned from His victory in the power of the Spirit. He made a great impact. Uh, he now goes to the synagogue and the Sabbath in His hometown of Nazareth. Standing up, He began to read from Isaiah, verse 18 of Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. That was a prophetic verse. And then after reading that, He made the audacious claim in verse 21, This day is Scripture fulfilled in your ears. <laughs> you got to imagine what that meant in that day. That was a shocking thing to hear. At first they listened, then they tried to throw Him off a cliff. From Nazareth, He went to Capernaum. When he spoke there, the Bible says in verse 32, they were astonished at his doctrine for his word was with power because Jesus is moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is completely free to speak the truth with boldness. Now let's step back again and look at the order. There was obedience that, with the baptism. There was assurance. Then there was testing. Then there was power, boldness, boldness. And now you have great impact. Jesus is modeling for us why we face evil, how to face evil. He obeys and the Spirit descends. He speaks, uh, uh, the Father speaks wonderful words of assurance. He is led out into the wilderness, and here He comes back in the power of the Spirit. The result of His faithfulness to God, staying true uh, and resisting the temptations of Satan, uh, re resulted in boldness that impacted many, many people. The same is available for us today. We are without doubt facing evil today. I make no mistake, we are dealing with people in our country that hate Christians. They hate what Christians stand for. They hate our values that we get from the Word of God. This is an all-out attempt to destroy everything that our nation was built on and everything that we hold dear as far as our values. How are we to respond? In Matthew 11, Jesus called out a few cities. He had been doing miracles and had been preaching the word throughout them. And he condemned these cities where most of his miracles were done uh, because they did not repent. In verse 21 of Matthew 11, he says, Woe unto you, Chorazin! Woe unto you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in thee had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a long ago and sackcloth and ashes, Tyre and Sidon, talking about Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 22, But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. So what he's doing, he's condemning these cities to judgment. These random cities who did not respond to what they saw. Yet in the same chapter, a few verses later, verse 28, you know what he says? Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden and I will give thee rest Jesus declares fierce judgment on these Jewish towns he tells them that they 
there's going to be more mercy shown to Sodom and Gomorrah than is shown to them. That same Jesus then says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This here is what I believe is the two-pronged Christian approach in the world that we live in today. To demon, to, we need to denounce sin. We need to, be, uh, to preach sin clearly and to talk about it and, what, and warn of God's judgment. At the same time, plead with sinners that are under that judgment that they can escape it through Jesus Christ. One final thought, Luke 21 talks about a time when there's distress in the land and wrath on the people. Doesn't that sound like today? Distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Jesus tells us that what to do in a time like this in verse 28. He says, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Yes, we need to stand for right. Yes, we need to make our voice heard in defense of the innocent and for the cause of freedom. Yes, we need to do all we can to stop tyranny. At the same time, though, what a blessing to know that we serve a God who is not limited by our circumstances. The problems we have in this sin-cursed earth, they are temporary. There will come a day when we'll be delivered from them. Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. They can take your freedom. They can take your body. They can't take your soul. Amen? That is there forever. We need to share that with people. What a great time. I was talking to an evangelist a couple of days ago, and he says there's never been a better time to witness than right now. I've had more people get saved just in talking to them and giving the gospel than I ever have before. People are open to it. Why? Because there's unrest. Let's give them some rest. That's what Jesus said. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden and labor, and I'll give you rest. Let's give them the answer. How do, what, how do we respond in the face of evil? We respond with the truth of the Word of God. We give people some hope and let them know that this isn't the end. This isn't all there is. There's so much more in Jesus Christ. Are you here today, friend? And are you a, a child of God today? Because for the child of God, everything that we see going on in our world today looks entirely different through the lenses of being a child of God, doesn't it? And it does if we have no hope. Let me give you today just very simply the gospel in a nutshell. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. None of us are exempt. All of us are sinful. Because of that sin, we are unable uh, to, make our, uh, to, to get to heaven on our own. The Bible tells Romans 6.23 that for the wages of sin is death. Really, that's the only thing you earn with your sin is death with your life. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, it's a blessing today, friend, for us to realize that this sin-cursed earth is not the end all. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. How about you today, friend? Do you know that you know that you know 100% certainty that if something happened to you today, you'd wake up in heaven? Do you know that for sure? If not, don't leave this building today without making sure of that. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. What about you, dear Christian? 
Maybe you're here today and like me, you can get a little discouraged with all that you see in the world today. And sometimes we...